So about, um, about a year ago, a hero of mine went down, a man who was uh, one of my favorite preachers who ministered the Word of God to me from afar for over two decades. Uh, he experienced a fairly rapid public descent um, from a pretty powerful and fruitful uh, ministry that was really all over the world. Um, he, he took a pretty ugly descent pretty quickly to an ugly rock bottom. Uh, it made me sad then, and it still does today as I thought about it um, in preparation for today. Um, apparently, the gist of what brought this man down um, was a, a celebrity following um, that hid a real authoritarian culture of fear and secrecy and mismanagement. There was a disconnect, a pretty large disconnect, between the public and the private man. Friends, Jesus' words here about prayer today, they must serve as a warning for us all. Because it doesn't matter if you've got a big and powerful international following in the millions or you're accountable to just a few young impressionable kiddos or a few friends or to God alone. You've got to keep your heart soft and moldable to follow God faithfully. The state of your heart matters a lot. An ongoing conversation with God in prayer is a key habit for keeping our hearts soft and pliable for God's purposes in our lives. You can't do what he wants you to do if you can't hear him tell you what he wants you to do. And soft hearts are required for that. So listen to Jesus' warning here. Listen well to his words to us in Matthew 6. Look at just verse 1 real quick as we jump in. He says, Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Jesus points out here the importance of maintaining integrity in the relationship between the public us and the private us. He says, don't be a hypocrite in how you live out your relationship with God. He says, don't pretend to be something you're not. I've been in ministry ever since college. And uh, here's something that I've found to be true of myself during these last 25 years. I know that I am most tempted to be a hypocrite when the public demands of my calling exceed my personal power to meet them. I'm most tempted to be a hypocrite, to fake it in my relationship with God, to fake it with others, to fake it in life when the public demands of what I know God's called me to do exceed my personal power, which means, when you think about it, We are all, always tempted to be hypocrites if we're frank about what God's called us to do in life. Whether you have an international ministry with the millions of following or there are just a few hundred people who know your name in these four walls or you've got a few little kiddos. (laughs) When you really think about it, we are all, always tempted to be a hypocrite because what God's called us to far exceeds our personal power to meet it, frankly. (laughs) When the press of life 
especially when the press of life demands more than we have to give. Those are the times when we are tempted uh, to fake our way through and to live a lie and to harden our hearts to God's purposes uh, for us. And it's in all of the areas of life. Uh, In school, it becomes tempting to talk like you're tracking, you know, to use the right lingo, to insert the right jargon so that you look like you're smart and you're tracking. I mean, I can tell you today what slope-intercept form is in geometry, but, I, but I'm not sure I can tell you what axis is x and y. y equals mx plus b. I remember that, but I have to think about the rest, and I'm not sure I can do anything with it. In our jobs, it becomes tempting to cut corners, to paint the picture a certain way so that you seem more competent than you really are. In our relationships, it becomes tempting uh, to just sort of play the game of satisfying someone by saying or doing what you think they want instead of learning to deal with the real issues at hand. I mean, just just the pressures of normal, everyday life can tempt us to put on a good show to tell the story of our lives with a, with a slant that puts us in a, in a better light than we deserve. Or in a way that satisfies someone else's expectations or that silences the uncomfortable question. We are all tempted to live every day with a selfish slant like this. Which is why Jesus warns us here. Why he warns us against hypocritical prayer. You see, it's in this tension, it's in this tension between public expectations and personal capacity that we must have soft hearts to hear and to accept correction from God. Look at verse five, first phrase. We're gonna hunker down on these four words here. First phrase is, and when you pray. When you pray. Two things here. First, we're gonna ask this question, what is prayer? For our purposes today, we're going with a real simple definition of prayer that fits with the overarching trajectory of of the use of prayer in Scripture and that fits who we are as a church. And it's this, prayer is talking to God in a way that resets our hearts for the mission of God. Prayer is talking to God in a way that resets your heart for the mission of God. One of the main grids that we use to interpret the Scriptures here at FCC is that God's mission to make his glory known is how we read what he tells us in scripture. It's how we apply it to our lives. And this is the case with prayer just like everything else in scripture. Psalm 130 speaks of prayer as as waiting for God. In other words, waiting for God to act. Waiting for God to act to bring about his plan of redemption, which is to say, not sitting, waiting passively, but actively with a heart that is ready to see how and when God acts. Acts 4 talks about how the first church prayed for boldness to achieve the mission that God called them to. In Colossians 1, Paul prays for the believers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Why? For the purpose of filling the earth with the knowledge of God's will. Tons of passages speak of being alert or watchful, meaning when it comes to noticing what God's saying and where he's working and how he's moving. Tons of passages speak of praying for God to heal as a demonstration of his glory. The early church prayed when they had to make decisions, when they experienced persecution, when they needed strength to stand. Why? Because the mission was hard. (laughs) The Bible is a book about God's mission to the world, and prayer is talking 
with God in a way that softens and shapes and resets our hearts to be aware and involved when it comes to his mission for the world. It's not about getting him to change his will as if that were possible. We approach him in prayer as if he's some genie for us. No, 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 no. The prayer is the process of having our hearts softened and our eyes opened to his will so that in the process we become people who care for the things of God, people who can see his purposes, people who are keen to connect people to his mission of proclaiming his glory. So number one, prayer is talking to God in a way that reflects that reflects God's mission. It resets our hearts for the mission of God. The second thing I want to notice here in Matthew 6, 5 is that Jesus is making an assumption about his followers. He says, when you pray. Meaning prayer is something he assumes fruitful followers of Jesus just do. We make that assumption here at FCC. It's why our fourth habit is pray and study the Bible. Prayer is a habit for those who are helping people find and follow Jesus. For those who are participating in the mission of God to help people find and follow Jesus, prayer, who needs it? But prayer is something that those who are fruitful and faithful followers of Jesus, who are about his mission, it's something they'll need to do. It's a habit for us as a church. And uh, frankly, we are intentionally and subversively trying to implement it everywhere you go. We pray in worship, we pray in the care room, we pray in our Sunday morning service huddles, we pray in next steps, we pray in our small groups, we pray in our meetings throughout the week. You'll occasionally see people pray for one another on Sunday mornings. Every Sunday at 5 p.m., we send out a text message uh, with a verse in the question that just says, how can we pray for you this week? And then our care team responds and prays immediately for them. And then later on, Tuesday mornings when they gather, they do it again. Every Friday at 8 a.m., our staff and elders get this updated prayer list. And so we're praying for the lost, the sick, the hurting, the broken, those in the military, um, our leaders, our missionaries, other churches in our community. As a church, we are constantly talking to God so that we keep our hearts soft for his mission of making known his glory. We want to be a church that says, Lord, make us moldable to what you called us to do. Change us so that we do what you want us to do. Keep our hearts soft. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you. That's the prayer of someone who cares about the glory of God. It's the fervent prayers of the saints who believe that God is sovereign and holy and actively working in the world that is the secret sauce for the growing church and Christian. So take up habit four. It's a key part of how we produce producers who are helping people find and follow Jesus. This world's got enough bump on a log consumers. We don't need more consumers. We seriously don't need more spiritual consumers in this world. We need to be people and churches who are producing producers, who care about the things that God cares about, because that's where joy is found. That's how the power to make it is found. So to summarize the first four words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus agrees with habit Number four. (laughs) 
That's a bit of a paraphrase, but all right, we need to pick up the pace here if we're ever going to make it through. Verses 5 through 10 says this. When you pray, when you talk to God enough that it shapes your heart for his mission, you must not be like the hypocrites, the selfish pretenders, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, meaning they've turned the whole world into a spiritual show, the churches and the world around them. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners and everywhere else. They love the prayer show. Why? That they may be seen by others. They're always glancing around to watch who's watching to make sure that what they're doing is counting. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, they have received their reward. Jesus says that if you're praying like a sinner who needs Jesus on Sunday... When you know folks are watching, but you find yourself with no need Monday through Saturday, then you'd better enjoy being noticed on Sunday because that tiny and meaningless blip of worldly notice will be all the reward you will ever receive, he says. Instead, when you pray, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door Turn off the show and pray to your father who is in secret, who is unseen. And pray to your father who is unseen in secret and your father who sees in secret, who sees what you do that is unseen, he will reward you. If you're seeking God in prayer because you know you actually need him and you depend on him from day to day because he's the power in your moment to moment, then you're not going to pervert the world into a make-you-look-amazing show, which nobody believes anyway. And your Father will give you what you truly need, which is more of Him. More of His character and nature. More awareness of His glory and His goodness. More aware of His presence in your life and in the world. More faith in a finished work of Jesus on the cross. More assurance that what he's done for you in Jesus is incomparably precious. Those things are the rewards that a deep and abiding relationship with God in prayer and word can make happen. Those are the kinds of rewards only God can give. And they only come from a deep and abiding relationship with him from day to day. If you, if you find yourself not needing, not depending on him, then you're in a selfish, worldly mission. Verse 7. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Gentiles just means non-Jews, everybody who's not a Jew basically there, not God's people. When you pray, do not, up, heap up, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. They repeated uh, the same kinds of words over and over like a mantra to sort of summon their pagan gods, they thought, as a way to manipulate blessing from them for their own purposes, right? Do not, he says, be like them, verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him well, I love what Jesus says here. He's like, duh. The Father's not a dead pagan God, but he's a living God who hears you the first time, right? Like, you don't need 
to browbeat him, which is different than godly perseverance. That's another parable later on. He has really big ears. He hears you. He's tracking. And then Jesus gives uh, two thoughts here to end, which I think are really helpful for us at the end of this passage. These two ideas in verses 9 and 10, it makes even clearer how prayer shapes our hearts for God's mission and for his purposes. Look at verses 9 and 10. I love that he says this like this. Pray then like this, meaning begin your prayers with these two thoughts, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, meaning first think God. You're perfect and holy and good and altogether righteous and sovereign over all. You created all that is. You deserve glory and praise. Think that first. That's a, that's a reset of heart. That's a heart-softening kind of thing to say to submit to him. So first say that, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May you be held in the highest of esteem. And then secondly, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, establish your kingdom, your will, your ways. Let that happen here on earth, Lord. He's essentially saying here in verses 9 and 10 that, in a sense, all of our prayers should start like this. As a reset of our sinful tendency to pervert prayer to yet another kingdom of me project. God, you deserve all the praise and glory. So come, make earth a place where your praise is made known. Come establish your purposes here on earth, in this community, in my life, in my marriage, my children, this church, my work. That's the kind of prayer of somebody who wants to actually engage in what God's project for the world is about, which is his glory. And that's where your joy is found. It cannot be found in the kinds of prayers that pervert God into some sort of functional genie for you in the here and now. It's not going to do that anyway. God does not have the glorification of those who are in rebellion against him in sin. He does not have the glorification of sin and evil as his goal. So watch how you pray. Ask yourself questions like, Does my prayer life acknowledge that God alone deserves all praise and glory and that he is working in the world and in ways that direct me and the world toward the end of his praise and glory? Do do my prayers reflect that? Ask yourself, do I want a relationship with God as he is or am I really in search of a God as a personal genie that promises a personal recognition or or temporary satisfaction? Does my prayer life recognize, does my prayer life recognize that the power to manage the tension between life's demands and my personal capacity, that comes from God? Friends, ongoing relationship with the Father in prayer is a key spiritual habit that positions our hearts to experience the power and presence of God for the purposes of God. It softens our hearts to keep us in alignment with him. 
This is important because, like we said earlier, um, if you're alive and half aware, (laughs) normal everyday life demands way more than you have to give, if you're honest. Life is one big test of learning that what God's called us to only works in his power. Uh, When Jesus was about to face the task of taking on the sin of those he came to save, uh, to become the full provision and sacrifice that turned away the wrath of God uh, that we deserved. Jesus spent an entire night in prayer, readying his heart to do what God the Father had called him to do. Why on earth would we think our lives should be any different? Why would we for, for a moment believe the lie that our calling doesn't demand God's power? I mean, unless your life <laughs> is about you, in which case you needn't worry about prayer, then certainly you must be aware that, that day by day, moment by moment, you must be aware of your desperate need to maintain a soft heart to hear from God, to communicate his glory, to do his will, to participate in what he's called you to do with what he's gifted you. How else do you maintain close contact with Christ as Lord of your life? How else do you maintain close contact with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? That's not only true for us as individuals, that's true for us as a church. What we're doing here at First Christian Church frankly, is an intimidatingly big vision. (laughs) We believe God's called us to continue to establish as many outposts for the faithful proclamation of the gospel as he would bless to plant in our county so that people can have a deep relationship with God for eternity. That's a gargantuan vision that not a one of us saw just a few years ago. And now we actually believe God's equipping us to make happen. And we need to pray, individually, corporately, to ensure that our hearts are soft to hear from God in this journey. When I think back about what God's done in 2019 in this church, I'm astounded. But we want to look forward to 2020 because we think God's going to continue to do amazing things to bring people to himself, to draw people to him. Uh, through the faithfulness of those who call him Savior and Lord. Uh, in fact, I would venture to say, friends, um, that God's vision for us is actually way bigger than our own, not just for us as a church, but for you, which means we all need to enlarge our hearts to accommodate his heart to save sinners. We are committed to becoming a people open to changing so that God will receive his glory. Is that, is that the prayer of your heart. Lord, I'm open to becoming who you want me to be so that you would receive maximum glory. This whole thing here at FCC, down to every nook and cranny of every group and process and, and program, down to our hearts and minds as individuals, this whole thing is designed to bring God the glory he deserves. That's his project for the planet. Which is why we have to make prayer a habit. So our hearts are prepared to do what he wants us to do. 
what he's called us to do. Father in heaven, indeed, we want to submit ourselves afresh today to your vision for our lives. Forgive us for maintaining our own vision as if that would be a fruitful and effective way of finding joy, of becoming who you've created us to be. Uh, We ask, Father, that you would continue to uh, give give us insight to what you've done in Jesus. Give us further understanding of what you've accomplished on the cross so that, Father, we would maintain hearts that are about your goodness and glory. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.